Hey, welcome back, everybody. How you doing? Dave, what's going on there? How you doing, man? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like a... What is that? Philadelphian, yeah. New York, New Jersey. Yeah, you know my brother Guido, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. All right. Uh, hey, Parts is Parts is the name of this episode. I don't know. For those of you who are old enough to remember this, there was a Wendy's commercial in the 80s, and I don't remember exactly what year, when uh, they did a... a <laughs> They did a commercial on parts is parts. Well, I'm not going to spoil the thing, uh, but it's it's a shameless plug for Wendy's. But it, it drives uh, the topic of our episode today in a kind of a comical fashion. I'm going to play that for you right now. Here we go. Those nibbits some hamburger places serve are actually processed chicken. Excuse me, but what was that in there? It's chicken. Chicken. Processed. P- processed? That's like when they take a lot of chickens and assemble the respective parts. What parts? What parts? Different parts. Parts is parts. Wendy's chicken sandwiches, pure boneless breast of chicken. Moist and perfect and not processed. As I hear tell, all the parts are crammed into one big part. Used. Yeah. Then the one big part is cut up into little pieces parts. And parts is parts. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. <laughs> Oh my god, that's perfect! Because the guy, the guy walks up and he's questioning, "Hey, what the hell? What's what in part? there? Yeah, are you? What? No, I want to know what I'm eating. So in this case, I want to know what you're trying to shove down my throat. Right? <laughs> These parts that you're talking about. Well, okay. parts is parts, you know. Yeah. Parts yeah. is parts. <laughs> I remember those commercials when they I, came out. Oh they, yeah, they were pretty popular. Uh, what are we talking about? That's always the question, right? In the uh, first part of these episodes here. We're talking about the Mormon church. There's a shocker for you <laughs> on Mormon talk. Uh, we're talking about how Joey Smith took a bunch of different pieces, pulled them all together and, and created what would become the the Mormon religion and um, parts is parts. So he took here part, there part, everywhere part, part. So did we end up with a nice a nine piece chicken McNugget or what would it end I, up with? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think there were many, many pieces. And, um, you know, ba- basically, so so this is how this is how I look at this, Dave. And you tell me, and I know we've got various pieces ready to kind of throw into the story here about the origin of the church and and where different pieces and doctrines came from. From a high level, I see a lot of similarities to other religions. Uh, I think if it was too different, people wouldn't have been attracted to it, right? It'd be too strange. Uh, So there's a lot of basic ingredients from other religions that you will find, other Christian, especially Protestant Christian religions, and we'll talk about some of that stuff. Um, then you see some tweaking of existing religious beliefs that you would find in other churches. So it's the same minus a tweak here or there. And then you see some ingredients, some parts <laughs> that are totally foreign, that are completely unique to the Mormon church. And so you throw all this together and you get this conglomeration that we call 
Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm trying to say that as fast as I can now because it's such a long name. Long handle. Uh, so are we, uh, <laughs> by the way, are we going to try to hit any news or? I, we no? are. Okay. Uh, yep. Good point. Uh, and so LDS Church in the news. So Salt Lake Tribune, this week in Mormon land, conference shuffle, polygamy puzzle, and temple talk. <laughs> Sounds <Wow>. like our titles. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of. Uh, so Rusty Nell vowed last month that next April's general conference will be different from any previous conference. Ooh. The governing first presidency has announced that the Saturday evening session, which normally would be for male priesthood holders, like there's any female priesthood holders, why do they need to qualify that? Uh, that's weird. Will <laughs> will now include all female and male members ages 11 and up. Oh wow! See more inclusion. We're trying to include more. You know what? That's pretty big. Yeah. That is a big one. We're yep. making adjustments, Dave. Adjustments. adjustments. Uh, Appease new, the crowds. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. A new release does not state what will take place in the session, but the faith will be celebrating the bicentennial of church founder Joseph Smith's first vision. Which first vision was that? Is there a footnote? I wonder which first vision. I think probably the 38 version. Okay. <laughs> in which the then 14-year-old, or was he 15? Yeah. I, I think he said 15 in one. Mm-hmm. In one anyway, the something-year-old boy... <laughs> said he was visited by God the Father and Jesus Christ. I thought it was angels. I, I thought it was vision? a salamander. No, that was the other occasion. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought it was the Lord, singular. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm getting the first visions all mixed up. Giving birth to the Mormon movement. Quote, we look forward to commemorating with members of the church the 200th anniversary of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the parts is parts version of that. And we'll talk about that at this historic conference and throughout the year 2020, the first presence you wrote. Uh, Associated Press recently reported that Rusty Ball, acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, was in the Big Apple this month to talk about preparations for the bicentennial of the First Vision, which took place in upstate New York. Oh, uh, Saturday evening well, general session, blah, blah, blah. How okay. much tithing are they going to spend on this thing? Good question. How many, uh, how many people's, uh, taxes, I mean, tithing are, are they going to throw at this? The polygamy puzzle piece of the article, the church has strictly barred polygamy for more than a century, except in the temples, <laughs> <laughs> but it remains very much a part of Mormon doctrine and shine in scripture and practiced at least through ceilings. Okay, look, they admitted it right here. There it divorced, is. Divorced or widowed men can be sealed to multiple wives, mm-hmm. while such women generally can be sealed only to one husband. Uh, generally, I don't. Is there why is, ever? A case? Why is that word there? Yeah, that's... I don't know. I don't know that there's ever a case where a woman could be sealed to more than one husband. I think no. that's a typo. Uh, church president Rusty Nell and his first counselor. We got to come up with a with a little slang for Dallin Oaks. Uh, Holland Oats? No, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dallin, uh, we'll think about it. Both married a second woman in the temple after their first wives died. So, will those wives be sharing their husbands in heaven? Well, of course. Uh, 
Sorry. <laughs> Their penile glands <laughs> better get rejuvenated. Cause I was thinking not head oaks. <laughs> not you head oaks. Oh, that doesn't really flow very oak, well. But. Oak head. I, I don't know. It, whatever. Uh, Dal, Dalo. Yeah, we'll have to think about it. What about the Western world's most famous polygamist, Brigham Young, who was still to more than 50 women? I think he holds the title. Go, hey, buddy, make, go. Yeah, make it 72, and you've got some correlation to Islam going on there. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune explored the issue of polygamy in the modern church and the angst, agony, and questions it still brings to faithful Latter-day Saints. We read that one last episode. That was that article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Church backs ban on conversion therapy. Yeah, we talked about this before. Um, yep, we don't need to reread that kind okay. of thing. And then, uh, yeah, that's that's church in the news today. Uh, interesting. So more adjustments, Dave. More adjustments are going on. Well, see, they'll they'll justify the the combination of the male and the female audience at the priesthood meeting. For the first time ever, because it's such a mon- monumental uh, occasion. Mm. It, but then what I see is I'll say, well, that worked out pretty good. Why don't we just keep doing that? Yeah. I don't know. Just sneak I, you know? it in. Yeah. Just yeah. a little sneak it in approach. I don't think anybody will notice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Westy Paul, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Beavis and Butthead version of... <laughs> Rusty Nell and Rusty Ball. <laughs> Somebody please make a cartoon. Uh, <laughs> oh, All right, man. that's the news. How about, uh, I kind of like the old, uh, the next set. Let's get the next segment out there too, Dave, before we get into the actual meat, as they say, of the episode. Mm-hmm. That would be for your information. All right. Now, some of this will actually lend itself to the topic today, which huh. is not a surprise. So here, we're going to start in 1865. LDS missionary Francis Hammond agrees to pay 14000 for church's purchase of 6,000-acre lay plantation on island of Oahu, Hawaii. This fulfills his written instructions from Brigham Young to obtain lands and, quote, suitable for the growing cotton, Sugar, rice, and tobacco. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Don't forget the tobacco. Mm-hmm. All right. February 19th, first counselor Heber C. Kimball testifies of healing people with his special handkerchief, a cane, and a cloak. <laughs> what? <laughs> there it is. Now, I heard about the handkerchief before. You did. I, I did. That, that yeah. was something different, though. Let's see. That was back in uh, Kirtland. Huh. Yeah. J- Joseph passed around a handkerchief. Okay. Yeah. So he, he ripped that off from Joey. This is uh, Heber C. Kimball, you said? Heber C. Kimball. But he and- extended it to the use of a cane and a cloak for healing. Wow. You got a headache? Come here. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing some Harry Potter thing. Did he use the cane as a wand? And, and uh, he, <laughs> he used it diagonally. <laughs> wow. Now, this, this is pretty big because we've talked about failed prophecies. This is just in your face. Whoops. 
Mm. All right. Again, Heber C. Kimball tells Apostle Woodruff, the North will never have the power to crush the South. No, never. The Confederacy surrenders the next month. <laughs> wow. Whoops. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big whoops. <laughs> only a month away. <laughs> I'm glad he wasn't a betting man. He would have lost his farm. Uh, and Lost his ass. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, so we're familiar with Lucy Mack's history of Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. And so this is how it was titled back. Okay. We're at August 23rd, 1865. First presidency in 12 published proclamation against Lucy Mack Smith's biographical sketches of Joseph Smith, the prophet, and against some of Orson Pratt's published teachings concerning Mother Smith's biography of her son, quote, everyone in the church, male or female, if they have such a book, are to dispose of it. Oh, my goodness. Huh. Yeah. Well, I heard something about them not wanting that published. I have to say I did not hear about the Pratt one. Well, uh, among other things, uh, I, I've read the book, obviously, and it, it shows the real history of the, of the Smith family, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, warts and all. It, it, it talks about the magical talismans and the parchments. It talks about money digging. It talks about Joseph Sr. having a vision of the tree of life and then Joseph Jr. just rips it off, puts it in the Book of Mormon. Mm. So a lot of that is there. And no, we don't really, we'd like to paint a better picture than that. Come on. Anyway. Yeah, okay. that's, uh, but it but it ended up staying in print, right? It yeah, ended that's true. People kept it. Um, you know, I that's one admittedly that I haven't read. I should read that. Um, it seems like mandatory reading. But I, I would imagine she she has some things in there that maybe some people think don't shed a great light on the early days of Joseph or something. I, I don't know. Not all things that are true are useful, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. I'm just thinking of a whole bunch of stuff that came from there, including that statement from her that talks about joseph and they're sitting around the table and he's telling about the ancient inhabitants of america as if he'd lived among them that that's the kind of stuff that's in that book right right that's where we found that joseph was kind of like the he was like the household radio talent like he was their <laughs> entertainment he would tell them stories Pretty and much. people would gather around and he had a great imagination and and he'd fill in all these details and it was entertaining yeah Okay, let's take care of our Masonic brethren now. January 22, Brigham Young authorizes J.H. Ellis, worshipful master of the Mount Moriah Lodge, really, to rent a social hall for the organization of a lodge of Masons. The worshipful master sounds like the KKK. I think that is an official title, though. That's that's like. Oh, it is. I know it is. Yeah. I'm just saying. It does sound bad, doesn't it? <laughs> Are we worshiping other people now, or okay? I yeah, I don't know. Now, uh, um, okay. 
we haven't spilt any blood yet, so let's get right into that. I'm, I'm looking for castrations and beheadings. That's well, what I'm... this is this is pretty bad, actually. This one, 1866, April 23rd, Circleville massacre is the title of the article, uh, in which local Mormon militia shoots hand-tied peed Indian men, then slits throats of their women and children one by one. Oh my God! Yeah. Of this incident, Commanding General Daniel H. Wells, Young's counselor, writes that these brethren did what was necessary. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, the children too, man. Why not? Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that's actually just very disturbing. That's just... Oh. <laughs> holy shit. And now yeah. another mind tweak from Brigham. June 7th, Brigham Young tells General Conference it is right, of the right, I think he, yeah, I think they missed a word there. It is the right of Joseph Smith's last son, David H. Smith, to be president of the LDS Church. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was too young at the time, if I recall. Well, he he did become the leader of, you know, the breakaway. Mm Mm-hmm. one of those true splinters. Yeah. All right. A couple more. This is getting better here. December 11th, Brigham Young Jr. writes in his diary that a nigger is found dead in Salt Lake City with this note pinned to its corpse. Let this be a warning to all niggers that they meddle not with the white women. Oh, my God. Dude. Yeah. I got I got to read a couple more. I this oh stuff. God. Yeah. Oh, so wow. here's here's one of these arguments and this this uh is to our point about the organization of the church. This is an example. Brigham Young preaches according to his apostle Orson Pratt's theory, God can progress no further in knowledge and power, but God the God that I serve is progressing eternally. So there there were arguments about that doctrine. The hell? Yeah. And the, the arguments about the uh, Adam-God theory. Uh-huh. This is within the Quorum of the Twelve First Presidency, fighting amongst themselves about pretty critical doctrines. Okay, this is this has been quoted before, and here it is. 1867, Brigham Young preaches that polygamy is the practice of Jesus and his apostles. Oh, huh. There we go. So was Jesus? So Jesus was married, or is he? I, I don't know. He's not specific. I guess maybe Jesus got married after he left. Or, uh, well, you know uh, the uh, the idea is that it was Mary Magdalene was one of his wives. Right. Yeah, that's always been a, a theory. But he's uh, saying Jesus and his apostles. And his apostles. They all practiced polygamy. All yeah. right. Go Brigham, and yeah. screw Nephi's brother. <laughs> Jacob, he he got it wrong, man. Throw him under the bus. I think it was the trip over to the New World that just kind of the salt water got to him. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was born, right? He was on the boat, supposedly, Jacob. I think so. Young kid. Yeah, the salt water must have got in his brain. He's the one with his arms over the side of the ship, and he's got arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Of course, that's the Arnold Freeberg interpretation. Uh, no no Which pun on Arnold, right? Arnold. <laughs> Brigham Young tells the school 
the Salt Lake City School of Prophets, that there were witches in the midst of this people by whose influence suffering and distress were wrought among the people. He reaffirms this to the School of Prophets on December 11th, 1869. Witchcraft is true, but, but, not, oh, but not of the Lord, but is of the evil one. His remarks lead some faithful Mormons to use well-known magical remedies such as parchments, house amulets, and counter counter charm incantations against witchcraft. So <laughs> use witchcraft against witchcraft. You, yeah, use uh, <laughs> sorcery. The least, the least you could call it is a cult, right? Use yeah. use occult superstitions against witchcraft. <laughs> What? Uh, the fuck? Oh my god. Let's, let's man. fit this two or three lit. more in here cuz I kind of want to I want to finish on this oh. one here. All right. In a, in an editorial entitled Marry and Be Happy he says that if men continue to refuse to marry, we would be inclined to favor the revival of the Spartan custom of treating bachelors by flogging. Oh. Get your ass out there and get married or we're going to flog you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Okay, Orson Pratt confesses to Salt Lake School of Prophets he has been wrong to reject Brigham Young's Adam God doctrine for the past 16 years. This is three days after Pratt writes a personal apology to the Young. So there. Oh, oh, I I see the light now, and I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, okay, our last one, another oh. another little boo boo. Doozy. Okay. Yeah, this time from Apostle Wilfred Woodruff. He tells the congregation in Logan, Utah, that within 30 years, New York City will be, be destroyed by the sea heaving itself beyond its bounds and okay. a washing of washing the inhabitants into the sea. Albany, New York, will be utterly destroyed by fire, and huh. Boston will be sunk with an earthquake, and Chicago will be burned by fire. As for the United States, it will be broken to pieces. Huh. And now here's the clincher. Brigham Young says Woodruff's remarks are given by revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Even though none of that happened. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, you can't make this stuff up, man. <laughs> none of that happened. How do you explain that? Well, the Lord has told me that the people repented. And so he has yeah. made his. I mean, you'd have to have some bullshit, you know, response to that. I well, mean, and, and the people buy it. That's the thing. That's Gullibility. the thing. Yeah. yeah. You can never be wrong. Yep. Yep. Sacred science. Oh, hmm. Thanks, Dave. We, we, uh, oh, yeah. we all appreciate that. Good laugh. It does <laughs> like a good laugh every episode. <laughs> wow. That's some crazy shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> Get my act together here now. Uh, so we, you actually touched upon some of this, like, like Joseph Stad's dream made it into the Book of Mormon. So we have bits and pieces. Here's how I see it really quickly, kind of a, as a shell. And Dave, we can fill in the blanks, I guess, on each mm -hmm. piece of this as much as we want, uh, given our time here. So I, I see... So Joseph, it starts with how Joseph grew up because this was all uh, as, who is it? Dan Vogel uses the term 
the fertile ground of Joseph's imagination, something like that. Yeah, and Ar- Arza likes to use that as well. Yeah, his, his uh, bound, and, and again, boundless iman- imagination, boundless. Right, is. right. And if for those of you who have missed it, Arza remind me of his last name and the Evans. title of the book. Arza Evans, Keystone of Mormonism. Keystone of Mormonism is the book we've mentioned and referenced this book a few times in various episodes. I'm sure you can probably find it on Amazon. And then Dan Vogel, V-O-G-E-L, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a well-known historian who spent a lot of his time on, on Mormon history in his studies and research and lots of good stuff. He's written several books. He's done a lot of in-depth video presentations on YouTube, if you look him up. Uh, and so sometimes you'll hear us bring him up as well as as a professional researcher, you know, some of the things that he has found and, and gotten into. He's he's thoroughly dissected a lot of topics uh, pretty to a fascinating level of detail. Uh, pretty interesting, smart guy. Uh Anyway, where was I going with this? So, yeah, that so you have to look at the church as a creation of sorts of, of Joseph Smith. So you have to look at the quote unquote fertile ground upon which his imagination grew besides in his head. Right. So his environment, his family. That's where I see this starting. He grew up in old America, right? 1800s, uh, early 1800s and. And in the Northeast, New York, uh, Palmyra, I guess, is where they were living when he was a teenager. And and so in that area, during this time period, heavy, heavy Protestant movement, evangelical Christianity was going crazy. You had a documented, historically documented, uh, and I should have looked up some of these terms. They use the they use terminology like the area was quote unquote on fire, like on fire with the spirit of God. Uh, this uh, trend that had started over in in England made its way to the U.S., where there was uh, it, I don't know, kind of almost the origins of the Holy Roller. Uh, yeah, it was revival, uh, revival, revival energy. Uh, energy. Revival. The, the people exactly. would get together and they'd throw up uh, like a small cover or maybe sometimes uh-huh. no, uh, something for the preacher to stand on anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. And just have open air um, yeah. dissertations. Like rock, like rock and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the people would sway back and forth and they'd sing yeah. hymns and Oh, you know, holy roller. And then you'd have this, you had this trend again, which I understand as I looked into it a little bit that started in England. That surprised me. I thought it started here in the States. Evidently not. There were a couple of preachers that were really well known for it over there. One or one or more of them brought uh, it over here. This, this spirit filling the crowd, the whole crowd falling over like they fainted with the spirit. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. This is the environment that Joseph grew up in, the revivalist environment. And so he sees this going on around him. So you have this Judeo-Christian, you know, religious belief at a, at the highest level of your religious categories, I guess. And then the Protestant movement within that, the the revivalist Protestant movement. Uh, with these kinds of things happening in these large crowds, etc. 
Then you have his family. His dad and a couple of his brothers had dabbled in the occult. His dad, very much so, to to our understanding. Um, this was not unusual, actually. There was what a lot of historians call the quote-unquote magic worldview that was believed by a lot of, of people in the, in the U.S. at that time, where things like... Uh, fairies and and witches as dave just mentioned and and uh, and the the uh, treasures that had spirits attached to them so they were definitely out digging for treasure and it was fairly common yep. and so the folklore was that there were spirits attached to protect these treasures uh-huh. and so as you're digging if the thing disappeared all of a sudden it's because those spirits moved it so it gave you a pretty good excuse yeah. to say i know it's here but these damn spirits they just keep <laughs> moving it around can, yeah. can i still get my 50 cents for our work yeah, today? The, rhetoric, the, the rhetoric uh was like you did something wrong right like you have yeah. to follow yeah. these exact guidelines and almost ritualistic steps or and you can get your treasure and if you do any of those steps wrong you you anger the spirit or whatever and so joseph saw that going on his dad was in, involved in part of that uh but this magic world view fairies exist elves and and wood spirits and divining rods work to find water or treasure and uh, talismans and part i mean people believed in that shit uh, yeah. by and large, a lot of people. And so that was around him and uh, his dad, you know, involved in a lot of that. And then his environment as a kid, he did get a good education. That's an excuse or a, a cop out that the leadership likes to use. Oh, you only had a third grade education. His dad was a professional teacher. He taught his kids at home. Joseph did have a decent education. He, you know, he may not have gone to public school, for the whole length of through high school type of a deal. Uh, but he wasn't uneducated. Uh, and, and he had access to some books that were very influential at the time. There Among book- those was the yeah. Bible. Yeah. Well, the hello. Se- that seven- was in everybody's house. Yeah. This was the 1769 edition of the King James Bible. Yep. Which was a, a, obviously a big influence on him yeah yeah, on everyone yeah 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 everybody had a copy of the bible in their home that was expected it was expected that you'd read out of it you'd even teach kids to read out of it uh there was a very common theory at the time that the native americans came from israel believe it or not i i found this out some years ago i never knew this that was a common theory of the origin of Native America. This is not something that was created by Joseph, which I kind of, I grew up believing that the Book of Mormon was unique in that it had that theory that that the Native Americans came from Israel. That's not unique, as come to find out. That a lot of people thought that at the time. Um, so that, he, he grew up with that thought that was rotating around he the He had community. the view of the Hebrews. View of the Hebrews was written around mm-hmm. that idea, that entire yeah. book on that concept. There was a book called The Late War, which I think was sub uh, kind of whatever. Another title for that was The Historical Reader. It was written in biblical or verse form about the the last war between the U.S. and, and Great Britain and... and uh, 
<laughs> people have done uh, scientific database crunching on that. Scientific database crunching. There was about 100,000 books that existed in print at the time of Joseph uh, that were available to, to a lay person. And the late war is more similar to the Book of Mormon than any other book that's ever been compared against it. So, so that including key names like Moroni and yes, Nephi, crazy stuff. Uh, lots of similarities uh, among these preaching. I'm j- almost done with my little blurb here, just trying to think of all the influences on Joseph. Among the preachers that were popular in the area was a preacher named Benjamin, who they built a little tower for, like you referenced, David, and and people surrounded him. And he gave the he gave these great moving speeches where the audience would fall over and you know this kind of deal. And his name was Benjamin. If that reminds you of anybody in the Book of Mormon, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was in his his repertoire of sources. Uh, as he got older, of course, we see the influx of Freemasonry into the church's beliefs. So you have, and then uh, Joseph's own view of the Trinity was kind of morphing and changing over time. Um, his own imagination finds its way uh, that has nothing to do with anything we just mentioned, other religions or occult or just pure, total unique shit that we can talk about a little bit later. Um, so this is the the bed in which Joseph grew up. So he has all these influences upon him. And so you have these ingredients. In now the we church. can we can only surmise, you know, what his actual thoughts were. We we do have a pretty good description of him because of his actions and those around him. We can't actually know what his thinking was, but I've mentioned several times that it's my belief he had no desire or design in creating a church at all at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And no. so there's a there's a statement again from D. Michael Quinn, uh, the evolution of authority in the church, and th- this is very important. This is just one aspect of what was going on. So this is entitled the concept of church itself. Where did that come from, and how did that evolve? I'm just going to read one short paragraph. The evolution of authority, priesthood, ordained offices, and presiding quorums traced in this study is not obvious to those acquainted with official LDS doctrine and history. Significant changes have been made in the public published texts of LDS scriptures and in church documents published by official histories. These changes retroactively introduced concepts, peoples, names, and structures which did not exist in the original revelations and historical documents. Mm. In some instances, these unannounced changes altered or even reversed the original meaning of the various statements. Orson Pratt was the first Mormon historian to acknowledge such retroactive changes in the revelations of Doctrine and Covenants, which became a canonized book in 1835. Church President John Taylor also referred to Smith's right to give, check this out, give a portion of a revelation and add to it afterwards. 
<laughs> we're making adjustments. <laughs> oh, okay, the adjustments. One, yes. One right. little bit more. Beginning with Smith and Calgary, church leaders regarded these retroactive changes as necessary because the original documents did not adequately anticipate Mormonism's later developments. Oh, now, my goodness. Yeah. One last statement from good old David Whitmer. In a few years that have gone away ahead of the writ, wait, in a few years, they, oh, they have the, the leaders in a few, within a few years is how it should read. They have gone ahead of the written words so that they had to change these revelations. So retroactive, uh, that, that's, that's important because uh, there's no date for the first vision. There's no date for the restorations of Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthoods. There's no, there's no teaching that there would be any such priesthoods. The, no. That kind of priesthood organization is not found in the Book of Mormon. Even no. at the waters of Alma, when they're baptizing, they, they do it in the name of the—they pray, may the Spirit of the Lord be upon me. And that was the only authority referenced— Really, yeah. In yeah, the old te- older New Testament, may may the Spirit of the Lord come upon me that I may do these things in righteousness, and that was your authority. Hmm. You either yeah. had the Spirit because of your righteousness, or you didn't. In which case, you really weren't authorized to perform whatever ordinance. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think significantly, not only did the first visions plural, there are seven different versions of the first vision something at, like that at least yeah. at least seven. not only were do those and the the restoration of the priesthood priesthoods uh not have dates associated with them but joseph and you just kind of alluded to this joseph didn't even mention these things no for for years after they supposedly Some happened his and, close uh, brethren yeah. uh mcclellan and and uh, all of them, David Whitmer, especially because he pretty much fell away from the yeah. church and he wrote a book several years later. Uh, and they're asked, they're being interviewed in a lot of instances, and they're asked, what did Joseph say about this? Nothing. Yeah. But, uh, the one, who was it? Uh, shoot. One, one of them mentions, when I first heard this, I was really surprised. <laughs> I'd never heard anything about it. And so that's that retroactive, well, we say we have the priesthood. There, It must have been given to us at some point. Let's figure out. Let's create a story. A, yeah. a story and a date. And so yeah. they break away. They break out of jail as, as far as the Melchizedek priesthood goes. And they're running through the woods for their lives. And at that moment... Uh, Peter, James, and John say, hey, this is a good time. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and so that, that's when supposedly they restored oh the Melchizedek priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. Hur- hurry up, would you? These guys with guns behind us. <laughs> it's safe because nobody else was there, right? Yeah. And so nobody exactly. can contradict their story. Exactly. Um, that's happened so so let's so taking a look at it you know half step back for a moment you have a protestant christian religion so all those major ingredients you've got jesus you know that we believe in the bible jesus christ okay he's he is the son of god the savior of man all that all that is claimed as yep we 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 agree uh 
the Trinity is a big issue here. And we won't, you could almost do an episode on that, the origins of that way back, even before Christianity, this idea of a threesome. Anyway, whatever. The point is, one of the big unique aspects of the Mormon church is their concept of the, what the evangelical Christianity would call, or even Catholic Christianity, whatever, would call the Trinity, which there seems to be kind of consensus across the Christian world, that you have three three entities or three, man, let's call it three manifestations, that's probably more correct in the way that they interpret it, three manifestations of God. He can manifest as the Father, as the Son, or as the Holy Ghost. They all dwell in one being, and this is the idea of the Trinity. And and so it's it's a God, God can manifest Himself in different ways. It's still just God. So in the beginning that, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word yeah. was made flesh and dwelt among men. So that's right there. There's the doctrine that the Jesus Trinity. Christ showed up in physical form as yep. God. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Joseph okay. believes this in this uh, for a long time. Uh, and we know this because the Book of Mormon presents God, the Trinity, in the same exact way. And we won't go into the verses and everything. It's 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 plentiful uh in the Book of Mormon that, that God there is one God and he is the Father and the Son, and but it's it's very Trinitarian in its in its concept. Uh, I always tried to read it differently when I was active because it didn't make sense the way it read and what I was taught about the Trinity because the, they're at odds with each other. But that, nevertheless, that's in the Book of Mormon. Now, Joseph's personal beliefs around the Trinity or his concept of the Trinity changes over time. And so if you watch this chronology, well, you can only go back and make so many changes to the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Which has happened a lot, by the way. People don't realize. A few thousand. I, over, a, over a hundred, yeah, some odd hundred thousand changes, whatever. Lots of changes. But now with the internet and everything else, the information, you could not get away with going back and changing like the Trinity verses, right? You couldn't do that uh, without a big uproar, people scratching their heads, right? But anyway, Joseph's concept changed. He starts teaching this idea of three separate entities and so you see, that's actually the impetus behind some of the different uh, First Vision accounts. Yeah. So the, the one is he sees angels. The one is he sees the Lord, quote unquote, singular. And then the one of the later ones is he sees God the Father and Jesus as two separate personages. And this happens around the same time that his view of the Trinity is changing mysteriously. <laughs> and so you get this different version of the First vision that would match but that, right? I, I just Two thought separate. of something. Even though he does uh, come up with this new idea that they're separate, they mm -hmm. did resemble each other exactly. Which is interesting, that, isn't That's it? an interesting way to kind of smooth that in there. They weren't yeah, two different guys. They were... Well, they were two different guys, but they actually looked exactly the same, which is, <laughs> is bordering on they're just one guy showing up in two yeah, bodies kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like kind of weird. Uh, so, so that's a definite uniqueness about the Mormon church, this idea of three separate entities where God, the Father, and Jesus have bodies of flesh and bone. The Holy Ghost is not. In Joseph's words, 
Otherwise, he could not dwell within us. So he's teaching that the, the spirit of the Holy Ghost literally possesses you. <laughs> it literally goes inside you. at some. And so you have two people inside you. <laughs> and then we have the uh, early brethren, as we brought up a couple of quotes already, who are arguing about whether or not the Holy Ghost does have a body. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. they don't know. Yeah. When you're making shit yeah. up as you go. You can't. <laughs> Yeah, you can't keep it straight. The Adam God theory, we won't even go into that today. I mean, Brigham Young brings it up. Joseph started it, though, right? Yes. We, we, we pulled that back. He didn't have time before he died, I guess, to elaborate on all the details. Um, so that's unique, obviously, this whole Adam God relationship kind of thing. Uh, but the fact that there was an Adam and Eve and they sinned and, you know, all the major Christian concepts, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He was resurrected. All that stuff aligns. There's just these unique things. So he he pulled a bunch, obviously, from the Bible, from the existing religions around him. And in, uh, in uh, yeah. the case of the Book of Mormon, quite literally, uh, and we've yeah. talked about that, of course, that endless passages from Isaiah, which are word for word and include all of the mistakes from the original Bible. (laughs) Oops. Another oopsie. Uh, Yeah. And his dad's, his dad's dream about the tree of life and everything. Suddenly that magically finds its way into the book of Mormon as the dream of Lehi, who was the dad of the family Mm -hmm. that came over. Uh, also, so little tidbits from his personal life fall in there. As I mentioned earlier, I'll include a link to this actually on the website. There's a comparison that was done, a database comparison, uh, with the text in a book called The Late War versus the Book of Mormon text. And folks, you will just be amazed if you haven't looked at this before, the similarities in the text. Mm -hmm. I'll just give you one tiny example. There's a story in the late war. So this is based on, like I said, the the last war between the U.S. and Great Britain, but it's fictional. There's some, you know, some real characters that about the real war that are probably found their way in there, but it's, it's known to be kind of a fiction. It's dramatized. It's written in verse form, kind of like you're reading the Bible. And so this was passed around schools where Joseph lived and elsewhere, it was called the historical reader and and teachers of the time loved using this text because not only did it teach some history about the war, it also taught kids how to read. Right. And it was also biblical and everybody was a Bible thumper. Right. So it was kind of like, Hey, this is a win-win. Well, there's a story in there about 2000. There's a story in there about 2000 uh, soldiers who uh, fight and they are following the teachings of their mothers, and none, they have great faith in God, and none, all of them get injured, but none of them die. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> this is in the late war, and so we find it in the Book of Mormon, right? And so there's a bunch of influence from that book that finds its way in. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, some other unique things— uh, the whole temple and everything along with that. And and so we know that Joseph at one point was enamored by Freemasonry, got interested in Freemasonry. He was very prolific in that area. Uh, we can trace Freemasonry back to England. 
sadly to many LDS apologists, <laughs> it does not go back to the time of King Solomon and his temple. <laughs> it has nothing to do with temple masons. <laughs> there are some connections to the Templars as, as early progenitors, if you will, of Freemasonry. Um, but yeah, nothing to do with King Solomon's temple and all this kind of bullshit, um, whatever. So that, that's one of the claims is that the Masons who built the old temples saw the ceremonies and recorded them. So they were able to pass them down and that the same ceremonies we do in the temples today in the oldest church were happening back in the day in King Solomon's temple, which is absolute and utter tripe. What's interesting so, is to, if you get a chance, look at the early initiatory ordinance in the church. Uh, they would literally put you in a tub, strip you naked, and they had basically a hose. <laughs> and you got <laughs> you got hosed, man. You got washed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what was going on early on. And of course, now it's to the point where I don't even think you take your garments off or something. I don't, they changed it again. Yeah. I don't know that you do anymore. When I went, you wore what was called a shield, which was basically like a hospital gown that was open on the sides Yep, and, you know, covered you on the front and back. And these old men would reach their shaky hands in (laughs) and touch your nipples and (laughs) touch your, your navel and, uh, as they anointed you with oil, you know, and water and whatever, you know, very Freemasonry. Uh, there's a book available online because everything's digitized these days, right? Called Freemasonry Illustrated. Yes. Fascinating book uh, written by a Freemason who was who was made a lot of Masons angry because this is stuff that sh- was supposed to be just kept in Masonry, right? You don't publish it to the world. He published a book. On, and, and includes illustrations of the handshakes, the tokens, the signs, uh, the step-by-step, you know, the words they would say in the ceremonies in Freemasonry. And read that book, look it over, and compare that to the ceremonies in the LDS Temple. And they're, they're basically the same. Uh, and so what Joseph did is he, he took a little creative license on the text, and he made it more churchy and, and temple-y. <laughs> Uh, and tied it back to, you know, Jesus and things. And, so, and uh, yeah. The big ploy, I guess, of the church as it approaches the world with its religion is that keep all that you have, if you do have religion, keep, keep it all. We don't want to take anything away, and we'll add to it. And that's uh-huh. exactly what has happened. And then... After the all these major uh, things came out early in the church, it's been a process of keeping up with the times. Yes, and keeping up with the the attitudes and the uh, again appeasing the people. And you could use the example of the temple and follow all mm-hmm. the changes, and it would follow that pattern perfectly. You could also look it up. Well, we got sisters going to priesthood meeting in April, so. What the hell is that? I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's it's just really interesting. I mean, when you're creating something and you don't know what it's going to look like when you're done, yes, 
well, of course it's going to be all jumbled parts as parts. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a, is that a thigh bone or is that, oh, that's the chicken's <laughs> lips. Oh, okay. <laughs> Does a chicken have lips? The old limerick. Um, yeah, look, uh, and you don't know what the future is going to bring, no, right? That's no. the big one. And, and here's the clincher. You're supposed to know what the future is going to bring because you're a prophet, and you're supposed to have revelation, right? And so you see, unsurprisingly, and Dave and I have mentioned quotes and things from prophets, leaders of the past, you know, quotes from people that like the temple ceremony was revealed directly from God. It will never change, right? These kinds of statements. Um, and of course, they were dead wrong because nobody could see what the future would bring. And so, you know, initially, and you mentioned this, Dave, the the evidence is that Joseph didn't initially come out to plan to build a religion. No. He just wanted to make some money. He he started with the treasure digging thing, got caught, got brought to court, and convicted for being a glass looker, as they called it. So he couldn't do that anymore. Plus, Emma, when he married her, her dad Isaac, didn't hated that he did that, the treasure seeking thing. So he promised, I I won't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> Um, well, he kind of, he, he still looked in stones, but he didn't treasure seek, you know, anymore. Um, but you know, he didn't go about to build a religion. I think when he started this book idea, he just wanted to sell a book. Yeah. He wanted to sell a popular book and make money publishing a book. In fact, we see that when he sends some of his guys up to Canada and I don't remember the year, uh, to sell the copyright of the book of Mormon to a publisher. Hello. Yeah. Who does that? Would you sell the copyright to the Bible? You know, if this is Holy Scripture. (laughs) Martin Martin Harris's wife almost left him because he mortgaged their farm to pay for the printing of the book. And of course, there was no immediate financial return from that venture. Mm -mm. I don't know if they were. That'd be a good thing to to know if they were actually charging. It, It seems like they would have had to charge something for it. So here's God's word. It's his newest word. How about five bucks? <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, I, I, know. Guess, I guess you had to buy Bibles, right? You probably true. have to go to a bookstore and buy your King's James and who knows how much those were relatively speaking. And so I guess that wasn't unusual to buy scriptures, hopefully, you know, and then when that, maybe that didn't pan out to be as lucrative as you wanted. And later on comes this idea of tithing, you know, so we go on and on and on, right? We make adjustments over time. We talked about that. I think some of the biggest adjustments, you know, during our lifetimes, the polygamy change is a big one. And we talked about that numerous times. Um, Still exists in the temple, still in Doctrine and Covenants 132 as the new and everlasting covenant. But we don't practice it physically in the church, as we see at least in the Brighamite sect, the biggest sect of the church. Um, Priesthood change, that's a big one, right? Uh, Black men could get the priesthood. And then all the endowment changes in the temple. I think those are the biggest adjustments, right, over time. Um, And so the church continues to adjust. It's this mismatch of Protestant Christianity with a different view of the Trinity, right, that we talked about, where they're separate beings, and then some unique things. Book of Mormon's obviously unique. Uh, the, the the priesthood concept is unique. Uh, the temple and all the stuff you do in there unique to Mormonism. 
Uh, well, and some other things, right? Like our belief in the uh, hour. I still talk like I'm a member. <laughs> it's brainwashing, folks. Uh, the belief that there's three kingdoms. And I didn't look this up, Dave. I, I think I did years ago. Does anybody else believe that? In Christianity, that there's more than not, just heaven and hell? Not not in Christianity. No, I don't think so. No, I, That's unique. Um, so yeah, parts is parts, right? Here, there, here a little, there a little. Here's some unique little sprinkles to put on top. Well, and then it gets really bizarre with, with some of the stuff from the Book of Abraham about all the planets. And then we were intelligences before we were spirits. So mm-hmm. he definitely had you know, some things that maybe he should have just kept his mouth shut. I don't know. I I (laughs) I don't know what the motivation was. It's like, you know, we kind of an ego trip is what I'm feeling or seeing there. You know, I, I know something nobody else knows. Yeah. That's a big ego. You know, and if you, if you join the church, maybe you can come to know these things too. You can find out too. Yeah. Yeah. You can be special. Yeah, th- speaking of that, that's another unique thing, right? It's a, it's unique to the Mormon Church. Um, this concept of the the nature of the pre life, you know, before we came here, no other Christian churches go to that level of of that I'm aware of Mm-mm. of the state of that existence, and then especially the afterlife. Very unique. Most Christian churches will tell you. Um, you're just basically an angel, you know, to God if you go to heaven, and that's it. They quote the verse from Jesus, like, no man is given or take whatever that, however that verse goes, no man participates in or is given in marriage after the resurrection. In other words, you don't, you're not married when you die. You don't keep your spouse. You're all just angels. Families don't continue after death. <laughs> and so that was unique. Joseph's idea of, of oh, no, you stay married. You, you have your families after you die. Uh, and then it goes crazy, right? You get you get to the point where you can be gods. You can create your own planets. It's like science fiction at that point. Um, goes way out there, uh, right? Yeah. I, mean, um, I don't know where he got some of those ideas. I think if the man would have applied his creativity as a science fiction author, like a Jules Verne type of guy, uh, I think Jules Verne was writing around that time period. Yeah, 1800. 18, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he may have done all right as an author because he had a hell of, a, of an imagination, you know. And maybe life would have been a little better without the Mormon church. Wow. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah. People, people are leaving in droves, but they are continuing to join as well. So that it is somehow appealing to some people and it's, it's the usual ploys, you know, the missionary, well, you know, not only can you have more than what you have now, you know, look at all the, and they, they immediately grab them socially is what I see. They get them to yeah. church. They get them to some fun functions. Look at, these are all your brothers and sisters. Now you just expanded your mm-hmm. family we're, and we're yeah. all going to take care of each other. And that's, Social circle. that's pretty goddamn appealing. It is. You know? It is to most people. You're right. Social circle. You don't know the shit about the church. You're not told, of course. And I, I guess in that situation, you don't really have a reason to try to find out. No. 
right? You 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 believe what you're told in the missionary lessons. You you come to church. You see this great group of people. You're like, wow, there everybody seems friendly. Um, which is a whole nother episode. <laughs> are they really your friends some of them are some of them are good people yeah uh you know a lot of fakeness going on a lot of image um and then we start to hear a different narrative if you're inquisitive at all this different narrative comes out and that's what i think new members are told dave i don't it's got to be right like they can't be told the same narrative you and i learned i i doubt it anymore they got to be told a different narrative now um i wonder if people are coming right out and telling people yeah joseph used a seer stone in a hat you know maybe they dropped the hat part because that sounds weird but he used a yeah that's that's the uh, direction that they're moving and so you know the gospel topic essays they release them and then they tuck them underneath the rug as soon as as soon as they're out there but some kind of half-assed effort to uh disclose what was really going on. And uh, I mean, cause if you see extreme versions of it, which I, I was, you know, an- so-called anti-Mormons, which is funny, I guess I'm an anti-Mormon, right? Whatever. And, and they'll get uh, on and do a podcast and they will only hit the weird, crazy shit, which is, yeah. it's not fair either. You know? No, no, that's true. But, when you buy a chicken, parts is parts. And you, <laughs> you don't really know what's in that thing. <laughs> I guess so, right? And you're eating around that yummy, crunchy little crust. And, oh, this is good. This seems great. Please, and please don't, don't tell me. Please. <laughs> you don't know what's in the center yeah. until you've been eating that thing for a few years. And then all of a sudden you find out, what the hell is that? Oh, <laughs> man. That a rat bone inside my chicken nugget? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Uh, oh, all right, brother. we're over an hour again. Look at us. Yeah, keep doing it. So, <laughs> uh, can't shut these guys up. Parts is parts, folks. Conglomeration. It's lasted though. The Brighamite sect yeah. still going strong. I guess. I mean, it is losing membership. The growth numbers are dwindling compared to earlier years. It's still around. Um, so, yeah. All right. Okay, man. Anything else, Dave? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go take my gerbil for a walk. Yeah, I figure. He got that gerbil harness. Yes, and it's been raining, so uh, he hasn't got out in a while. He's kind of starting to climb the yeah. walls, literally. So A lot of, a lot of pent-up energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, man. Hey, that's all you need. A little gerbil. <laughs> Come here, little fella. Little fella. <laughs> oh, all right, man. Catch you guys later. Adios.